said we're in ayah number 13 in Surah Yaseen. وَضْرِبْ لَهُمْ مَثَلًا أَصْحَابَ الْقَرْيَةِ إِذْ جَاءَهَا الْمُرْسَلُونَ إِذْ أَرْسَلْنَا إِلَيْهِمُ اثْنَيْنِ فَكَذَّبُوهُمَا فَعَزَّزْنَا بِثَالِثٍ فَقَالُوا إِنَّا إِلَيْكُمْ مُرْسَلُونَ Coin for them an example. And that you strike an example. You coin an example. You bring forth an example. So this story is real, but it serves as an example, a parable, a method. And this is the art of storytelling that the Quran uses. So the Quran will use concrete facts to build a bridge uh, from there to another place, uh, moving from the known to the unknown is the method the Quran uses. So the story is real, but the purpose of the story is not just the story itself, but it's something higher than the story. And that is what is implied in the word method. Something that is now uh, hidden, which needs to be expressed. So, coin for them the story, uh, the method or the parable example of whom Ashab al Qarya, the people of the town, the people of the city. Some people, or maybe perhaps more than some, quite a few of those Mufassirun who have looked into this surah, they say this was Antarctica, Antioch, which still exists today. That these people that uh, Allah says He sent them, they were sent to this city, uh, Antioch. Ashab al-Qariyah. Idh ja'ahul-Mursalun. Where's the example or the parable in this story of the people of the civilization? The word Qariyah refers to a town or city because in the later ayat, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَجَاءَ مِنْ أَقْصَ الْمَدِينَةِ Where the word Medina is used, and Medina is only for a city not for a village. Anyway, so this is the time when those who were sent came to them. Ja'aha al-Mursaloon. So they didn't come on their own accord. 
and they were dispatched, and they were sent as emissaries and ambassadors from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's discussion here as whether or not they were uh, themselves messengers or were they appointed by another messenger. So there is one opinion which says that so they were appointed by Isa salam to go and talk to these people in Antioch and bring them into the fold as they were idol worshippers. That is one opinion. The other one which is probably stronger is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent them as messengers and not as subordinates to another messenger. إِذْ أَرْسَلْنَا إِلَيْهِمُ اثْنَيْنِ فَكَذَّبُوهُمَا Remember the time. So now the story is that of the people of a town, a city. And within that town or city, there were three people. Two of them were sent originally to represent Allah and speak to the town people. And then they belied them. They refused to believe in them. They rejected them. فَكَذَّبُوهُمَا So they rejected them. Those two. Right? So the dual is used here. That two were sent and both were rejected. So rejection, unfortunately, is part and parcel of being sent. When you're sent by Allah, then you will be rejected. That's the first rule. Just because you're sent doesn't mean to say you'll be accepted. Yeah. Immediately, instantaneously, they rejected them. As they rejected these two, we strengthened them with a third. We strengthened them with a third Nabi or Rasul or a third person who is not necessarily a Rasul, but a helper. So these are all details that you will find in the books of Tafsir, whether this one was also a Nabi or Rasul, or was he just annexed onto the mission. Yeah. So we strengthen. So now the strengthening means that there is auxiliary power and strength, not necessarily... Uh, constitutional. They all then came together and they all went into the town and called the people. They gave the people dawah and they all said, we are all sent to you as messengers from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is their story. The town people, they said, that you are nothing except men like us. One of the usual rhetorics of people who don't want to believe in a Rasul is that the Rasul is a human. And human beings should not be sent to represent God on this planet. Allah should send angels so that there is some divine power and a divine proof. And they don't want uh, people who look like them and talk like them and eat like them and sleep like them to represent the divine. There has to be a divine uh, you know, trait, and that is 
above and beyond the trait of other of uh, human beings in general. Anyway, this is what they said. You are nothing except humans like us, mortals like us. Yeah, Bashar is someone who has an exterior skin. Well, that's Bashar. And the Rahman has not sent anything. The Rahman here, they use the word Rahman showing that if your Lord and your God is compassionate, then uh, he is beneficent and uh, he will send someone and send something to show that you are his representative. But he hasn't sent you anything in the form of a revelation or a book. And this is where those people who say that these were not messengers, but rather representatives of a messenger, they'll find their evidence here in this ayah. In antum illa taqdibun, you are nothing except that you are lying. In antum illa taqdibun, you are nothing except that you are lying. So now this is their second retort. The first is that you are human beings like us. And the second is that you are lying. Allah does not reveal anything to you. And he has not sent anything with you. The response of these messengers or emissaries was very simple. It wasn't sophisticated, wasn't complicated. And they said, our Lord knows that indeed we are to you messengers. We may not be messengers for the whole of mankind, but we know we have been sent to you. And our knowledge that our Lord knows this is enough for us to do the work. As in the beginning of the surah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to the Prophet sallallahu Indeed your messenger, you are amongst those who have been sent. So now this goes to the heart of the issue where if the messenger believes that he is sent, then he is sent uh, as long as there is uh, substantial evidence that he is capable of being a messenger in the first place. So here, since there was no uh, wahi that came to any Nabi that uh, the last prophet had come, uh, they knew that they were messengers and they were not going to be uh, stripped of their nabuwa of the risala because people are refusing to believe in them. Inna ilaykum lamur saloon. Indeed to you and to you alone we are messengers, meaning we are messengers to the Ashab al the people of the town. We're not messengers to the whole of mankind. We are sent to you. This story, historians say, happened 600 years before the Prophet So this will also make it a historical prelude to the coming of the Prophet And our only responsibility uh, is to give the clear message. Meaning the way messengers operate is that they don't bend over backwards to provide proof in the form of miracles. Uh, they're not too concerned about uh, you know, how people refuse to believe in them or how they reject them and so on. 
What they are concerned about is whether or not they deliver the message and whether or not the message is clear. They can't worry about public opinion. If they worry about public opinion, then no one believes them. <laughs> so the only role a messenger has is al-balaghul mubin, open, clear, uh, conveyance of the message. So the message has to be delivered. That's the word balagh, and the message has to be clear and open, al-mubin. As long as they do that, they'll be fulfilling their responsibility. Again, it goes back to the early passage in the surah about the Prophet ﷺ, that it's the same to them whether you deliver the message, warn them, or you don't warn them. As long as you give the message, you have done your job. Your responsibility ends there. So here, these messengers, they say, we have delivered a very clear, open, manifest message. So the Anbiya Salam, they are given the ability to speak and to convey and to convey very, very vividly and use expressions that are piercing and penetrating. So that is an added skill set that a messenger needs. So the messenger now needs three things. One is that he is convinced he is a messenger. And the second is that he must know the message. And third, that the delivery of the message must be open and clear. <coughs> Three components to Risala. And for that matter, Nabuwa also. He must know that he is a messenger. He must be convinced. And secondly, he must know what the message is. What is the Risala? What is the message? This is the message. You're going to die. And when you die, Allah will question you and you'll be put either in Jahannam or you'll be placed into Jannah. That is the message. That's all the message is. Now this message has to be delivered according to the context and the circumstances of the people. That is Al-Mubin. It is open and clear. That takes time. It's not something that you stand there and say, I, I am here, I am a Nabi, I am a Prophet. No, then it takes time. Then you have to deliver the message through different means and different ways that are allowed in da'wah. Not that they are not allowed in da'wah. Yeah. Meaning when you give da'wah and you call people towards Allah, the Quran, Sunnah, Hadith, and Islam, and so on, then you can only use halal tools. You cannot use haram tools. If you use haram tools, uh, there is no barakah in that, number one. And there is sin when you do that. So even though someone may become Muslim because of that, uh, you will not receive the reward for that. So then in that case, you've lost. Right? So they have to, that's part of al-mubin. So in the word al-mubin, all of these are implied that the Prophet and the other messengers did not resort to tactics that were haram. They only used methodologies that were halal in the first place. And that's number one. Number two, that they should be able to elaborate what the message is. And throughout the Quran, you'll see that uh, students of the prophets elaborated so well. One is here, 
the other is in the Surah Al-Mu'min, where the man who concealed his faith in front of the Pharaoh came out and he delivered this wonderful lecture in front of Pharaoh, which is mentioned there in that Surah. So he was a closet Muslim. But he learned and he was trained uh, from Musa al-Islam, with Musa al-Islam, that he learned all the details of the message and he delivered the message with those words very piercing, penetrating, like I mentioned there. Here, the same way that these messengers knew how to deliver the message. That requires training. You should not go up to the podium without being trained to deliver the message because, number one, you don't know the message. If in your message you got one of the aqidah wrong, there, go, there goes your mission. You can't promote a false deen, a false religion. So there, your knowledge of the deen that you are promoting must be first comprehensive, and secondly, your, your, your tools of delivery must be in line with what is credible in the community and in the society, and so on. You must realize that the Quran is mentioning this story, but the story unfolds in time, over time. Mm. So the Quran goes from one uh, place in time to another place in time in, in one ayah. But this may have unfolded in three years, five years, ten years, fifteen years, whatever it is. So you have to use your imagination uh, to capture the timeline. قَالُوا إِنَّا تَطَيَّرْنَا بِكُمْ They said that uh, we are seeing, we are taking a bad omen from you. تَطَيَّرْنَا بِكُمْ So this is at the end where punishment was coming upon these people. So this must have been years as they are trying to go to these people. When you say a people, a town, place or a city, it must be at least... 50,000, 100,000 strong. Mm. And they were interested to go to everybody in that town, in that city, door to door, person to person. Mm. They did it privately, they did it publicly, whichever way the message was supposed to be delivered, they delivered. So they made sure they delivered to everybody. Yeah. So if there's 50,000, that takes a long time. And if there's 100,000, it takes even longer. Mm. You're talking about years of effort that is in these ayat. So they were now afflicted with a drought. And their drought they ascribe to these messengers. So we are taking a bad omen, taking a bad omen. We believe that you are the bad omen. It is because of you that we have been afflicted. Um, so now they brought them to the town hall or the city center and the marketplace and they made this announcement. If you do not stop, then indeed most certainly we will stone you to death. Rajam. Yeah. So they threatened them and they gave them an ultimatum. You must stop this dawah of yours, this preaching of yours, and this calling to your God and calling to the hereafter. If you don't stop, we will stone you to death. Indeed, you will, you will taste and you will face and you will be touched from us 
severe punishment. Severe punishment will come upon you, and this is what happened eventually. So, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is sending this message to the Prophet Muhammad that these people, meaning the Quraysh, who are refusing to believe in you, are no different from these people to whom these three were sent. And this was just 600 years ago, just a few centuries ago. So it's the same thing, the same pattern. History repeats itself, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is there to take care of you as he took care of those people. They said in response to this that there is really no bad omen. The Prophet did not like any bad omen. He didn't like Muslims to be superstitious. So the tayr, tayr, the word tayr and ta'ir is when there's a bad omen. A good omen is good. The Prophet liked good omen. So if there are good signs, then he said this is a good sign because that's positive thinking and that's thinking that leads you towards your salvation and your success. Negative thinking leads you towards pessimism and then superstition and then kufr. So here these messengers responded to them, that your taking a bad omen is with you. Is not in truth, is not in reality, it's something in your mind. And it is the result of your actions that you are facing, whatever it is you are facing. Yeah. If only you would take heed and understand how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala works. But the truth is, you are a people and a nation that is extravagant. So here Allah talks about the punishment coming to those who are musrif, extravagant in their lifestyle. So now, if people who believe in Allah live a lifestyle that is extravagant, then they have to be careful. Yeah. Overindulging in luxury is not the way of the Prophet nor of this ummah. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is informing us through them that when people exceed their limits of pleasure, like in the Quran, homosexuality is seen as israf. Lut tells his people, the same word, you are extravagant, you are excessive, that you don't need to go this way to fulfill your need and even your halal pleasure, but you've exceeded all boundaries of pleasure, therefore you are guilty of israf and that's why you've been punished. And so on. So now, extravagance here, Israf, uh, is a very um, penetrating word uh, which needs to be opened up and discussed. That it is the mindset, uh, the mindset is that there is no akhirah, therefore we must uh, become hedonists and we must enjoy every pleasure in this world because there is no akhirah. Right? That's the mindset. This mindset creeps into every community, whether they're Muslim, non-Muslim, religious or not religious. Every nation, unfortunately, uh, becomes um, a victim of this uh, mindset. For the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, when he was asked about wine, 
uh, and how they do all this and that. And Umar knows. It's a different story. But anyway, he said, Lahum dunya walana fil He said, the so-called pleasure of drinking wine is for them in this dunya and for us it's in the akhirah. That's the mindset. Uh, we go with this framework. That why am I sacrificing the pleasures of this world? Uh, because if you do that, Allah will not deprive you of the pleasures of the other world. So now your akhirah, your belief in the akhirah, becomes central to your lifestyle. If you believe there's an akhirah, meaning we have to leave something for Jannah, right? Right. When you have all the 15 different types of, uh, mashallah, what do you call it, um, dishes on the table, then at least leave a few for Jannah. No? One or two maybe? No. So the next time around you have 20 dishes and you vie with each other and you compete with each other. That's Israf. It's the mindset. And this is extravagance and this is exceeding the boundaries and limits is, um, if you want this type of clothing. This is all fine in, in terms of halal. Yeah, what is halal is halal. We're not saying that. But we, do, we are talking to the mindset. So here, these messengers are saying to these people that uh, your mindset is wrong. And if you think that because you have money, power, influence, prestige, status, all of that, that you can live the way you want to, then Allah has His way to teach you. And His way to teach you is to send you a drought. Right? Or send you fires that you can't handle. These are big signs. Right? These are signs. Alamat. <laughs> we won't say punishment because we're not allowed to, but they're definitely signs. And then you're not in control. That's the sign. And even if you were in control, you can't do anything about it. So there's probably no better place of witnessing Israf than the place where the fires are. That's where it stems from, the mindset. This hedonism. That you're seeking pleasure after pleasure after pleasure. And it's unrestricted. Balantum qawmum musrifoon. If only you took heed and if only you understood. The truth is that you are a group of people that exceeds all boundaries and limits of life in this world. Anyway, this is what happened. So they eventually tortured these uh, messengers and they eventually assassinated them and killed them. And they became shuhada and so on. However, in the interim, there's another story within the story. came from the outskirts of the city, Aqsa. Aqsa means the outskirts, the frontiers of the city came a man rushing, running towards these people to stop them from persecuting and assassinating the messengers. So his message was the following. This man, 
uh, was previously a uh, idol worshipper and uh, he, he, he was afflicted with leprosy. So one of the messengers went to him as his house was the last house in the town because he was a leper. So people didn't want to stay with him or next to him. So he went there and uh, he cured him and said, this is the result of my belief in my Lord. So the old man said, I have been worshipping these idols for 70 years and nothing has happened. And you came along and you've cured me, so your Lord must be the real Lord. So he accepted Islam. This is the man who came. He came running to these people and he gave one message to these people. Mursaleen. Follow those who have been sent. Meaning divine appointment is the reason why you should follow these people. Uh, not because that he is human or non-human. It is because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has assigned them this task and duty that you should follow them. So the divine appointment is the reason why we follow a Nabi, nothing else. Whether that Nabi has a miracle or mu'ajiza, whether the, that Nabi looks like this or... Uh, understands like that this is the divine appointment it is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you believe in the Nabi yeah. and then he says to clarify this follow the one who doesn't ask any compensation from you he doesn't ask any reward from you that is a clear proof that he is sent by God by Allah if he was delivering, or if they were delivering the message because they wanted honor, power, prestige, status, or they wanted a leadership role, or they wanted money, or they wanted women, or they wanted something, then you would have had a case that, yes, they have a vested interest. They're asking nothing of you. They are pure and sincere in the highest uh, category. They're not asking anything. So this is the role of a Nabi, that a Nabi cannot ask anything from the people in exchange for the da'wah, the invitation. So a Nabi's invitation is to call people towards Allah through Jannah without seeking any reward or compensation. Except one, as the Quran says. قُلْ مَا except that you keep your family ties the way it should be. Because that's part of you, that's part of your system and your order. So you keep your family ties the way they should be. <coughs> but even then, that is a moral wage or compensation which is ethical and it doesn't cost them any material money or wealth. Right? Here, this person who came supposedly to rescue the messengers, which he wasn't able to, said that they're not asking anything of you. And their simple sincerity should be enough to tell you that they are being assigned by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Their reward is with Allah. In ajriya illa ala Allah, as all the messengers said, that we don't want anything of your dunya for us. We do it simply for the sake of the Akhirah and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then secondly, that they are rightly guided. Look at their ethics and morals, look at their behavior, look at their integrity, look at their honesty, 
look at how they deal with people and look at how they live and you will see that there's nothing in their lives that is, uh, is uh, that warrants any kind of uh, in uh, any kind of repudiation from you and their lives are now a spectacle of uh, divine worship that's who they are that's what they are look into them and see how they are so they themselves are proof that Allah has favored them then he goes on now as you see so you have the messenger or the messengers and then you have the followers of the messenger so in this story yeah, as I've mentioned Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is bringing out a message from the messengers then he's elaborating on their message through a follower of theirs this is why I'm saying that these people who accept Islam with these messengers were trained it wasn't that they said la ilaha illallah and they became great orators this had to be done methodically in order for this person to say what he's saying he must have had tremendous orientation from the messengers it's not simply that you know la ilaha illallah and then you go out and deliver the message comes a lot of training he must have spent hours days and weeks if not years with the messengers to speak this way and this ayah shows it and what is it with me that I don't worship the one who has created me without any prototype who has built me created me with a fitra with an instinct with a natural disposition that leads me to believe he is one or all in the word fatar so now as obviously he's not saying this in Arabic the Quran is recapturing his message in Arabic the Quran is relaying what this person said uh, his name by the way is Habib um, and he was a carpenter they say Habib Habib is saying all of this in the language that he speaks the Quran is now coining the example of Habib in the Arabic language and re representing that uh, fact this way so the Quran is saying that he used words to denote the word Fatir that the word Fatir will include in his creation uh, the, the, the imposition of a natural instinct, instinct in that creation so every creation has a natural instinct that uh, it will take on so a snake has an instinct and a fly has an instinct a cow has an instinct and human beings have instincts and so on so this is in the word fatara from the word fitra so Allah subhanahu when he creates through al-fatir uh, these uh, you know instincts will be understood that instinctively I know Allah created me I know Allah is the my khafatir and my khalif so why shouldn't I worship him I must worship the one who has created me uh, without any prototype and originated me and it is him to him alone that we will be returned if there's a place where we are going back 
after we die, it will be only to him, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, we will return to him and our uh, hisab and our accountability and our auditing of our actions will be with him. And uh, for that, we hope that he will pardon us and so on. أَتَّخِذُ مِن دُونِهِ آلِهَةً يُرِدْنِ الرَّحْمَانُ بِضُرٍ لَا تُغْنِ عَنِّي شَفَاعَاتُهُ شَيْئًا وَلَا يُنْقِذُونَ Should I then take on a god, a false idol, besides him? أَتَّخِذُ Should I take on and adapt and use as my religion another idol, another false god? If the Rahman, يُرِدْنِ الرَّحْمَانُ بِضُرٍ if the, if the Rahman, meaning the compassionate, wills that there is a harm that is going to come to me, then their intercession will help me nothing, will avail me nothing, that if I seek them to intercede in front of the Rahman, where the Rahman wants to cause harm to me, even though he is a Rahman, then they will not be able to help me at all. Nor will they be able to deliver me. So these are all now saying that you have made false idols either in your mind, mentally, or in the physical world by carving statues from wood and stone that they are not there to help me. Or the idols you have in your mind that this one will help me. And this one. When the Rahman has decided that a harm will come to me, then it will come to me. So good and evil is from the Rahman, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Again, as I've mentioned before, the use of the word Rahman shows that the Rahman has both sides. Although, eventually, the side that is now uh, the one that favors will manifest itself on the Day of Judgment, where someone is patient for their ordeal, then Allah will reward them. That is where the Rahmaniyyah and his being Rahman will show itself on the Day of Judgment. But that doesn't preclude him from giving you distress and stress in this world. Dur. I mean, eventually, the bigger picture. In the big picture, if there is dharar or dur or harm and uh, detriment to you in this world, then it, the bigger picture is that he will relieve you of that on the Day of Judgment by rewarding you for your patience. That is how you understand the Rahman. So the Rahman's action, the Rahman's actions are not limited to this world. You must include the Akhirah in the equation. Then you get a sense of the true Rahman. But if the Rahman has decided that some harm will come to me, then that's what's going to happen. No one can help me, avail me. And the, oh, my only recourse will be to make dua in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, give some sadaqah, do some good deeds, and make dua and everything else. If that is the case, if I believe for a moment that if Allah has decreed something to come upon me, and I believe that that will not come on me, then in that case I will be indeed in a manifest error. I'll be lost, I'll be roaming around the earth, uh, hitting myself against a brick wall and falling into a pit from which there is no escape. So we believe that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who helps us and who supports us 
and who delivers us from every uh, form of stress and every form of difficulty. Indeed, I have believed in my Lord. My Lord took me out from idol worshipping and then relieved me of my leprosy and now is now bringing me to you to show you the way. This is what my Lord is doing. So I have believed in my Lord. So listen up. Meaning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is now showing him the akhirah in front of him as he himself is about to be executed by these people. So at that time when death comes near and close to you, you get the signs of the other world and when the signs of the other world come upon you, this is how you speak. So this one's also a shaheed. Habib, the Najjar, the carpenter, now is also tasting shahada just before he dies. Yeah. It is said to him, uh, enter Jannah, this has to be at the time when he is about to die. The angels will give him glad tidings, or gave him glad tidings that you are about to enter Jannah. So this is what he said. Then he continues, if only my people knew what they were getting into and what they are going to deprive themselves of, then they would stop persecuting me and trying to kill me and they would believe and come into the fold of Islam and so on. You can see all of this very, very dramatic uh, scene unfolding in front of you. This is the state of someone who believed in the messengers and this is the state of that person who is now delivering the open message. So he knows the message. The message is focused on the akhirah and so on. بِمَا غَفَرَ لِي رَبِّي وَجَعَلَنِي مِنَ الْمُكْرَمِينَ Because of what my Lord has forgiven me. My Lord has forgiven me because I see that in front of me. And now he has made me from those who are honored. He is going to treat me as an honorable person as I meet him, as I come close to meeting him. And this person now is now informing his people that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants you to join me and you still have time. Yeah. However, their time passed and they remained stubborn and they remained unfortunately committed to their shirk, committed to their evil. وَمَا أَنزَلْنَا عَلَىٰ قَوْمِهِ مِنْ بَعْدِهِ مِنْ جُنْدٍ مِنَ السَّمَاءِ وَمَا كُنَّا مُنْزِلِينَ And we had not sent upon any upon his people uh, any, what do you call it, uh, what do you call it, any army uh, from the heavens and we are not about to do so either meaning that we didn't send an army of angels to destroy these people we didn't need to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could have sent an army from the sky from the heavens to take care of these people but that did not happen he didn't need to he killed them and he, he punished them in a different way and that different way is in كانت إلا صيحة واحدة it was only a single deadly blast sound. It was a sonic <coughs> explosion uh, or sonic effect, sorry. In and upon the community, they heard this sound and the sound killed them. Not only killed them, but extinguished them. They're completely obliter obliterated. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took away their sense of balance 
their sense of understanding, their sense of life, and so on. So this was the punishment Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent upon this group of people that were there somewhere around Antioch. Mm, some people say it was Antioch, some people say no, it was not. However, it was a civilization, it was a city, and this city refused to repent from the israf, from the uh, exceeding the boundaries of, uh, you know, useful living, and they continued to worship the idols that they were worshiping. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now brings this story as an example. Coin for them an example. So this example has many facets. One is to reassure the Prophet that this can happen with your people, the people of Mecca, if Allah chooses, number one. Number two, that those who do not believe in you, uh, they are actually not believing in Allah, and they're not believing in the Akhirah. So you should be reassured that Allah will help you the way he helped these four people. First, the three messengers, and fourthly, this person, the Habib, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala honored them and gave them shahada and allowed them to enter Jannah. And thirdly, that uh, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does destroy a nation or group of people, it is because they have rejected the messenger. Yeah. Yeah. Not necessarily because <coughs> they have rejected Allah alone. And so it is in the rejection of a messenger that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings down these uh, types of punishment. However, with the advent of the Prophet وسلم, uh, there is no such punishment at the global level, but there are trials and tribulations, and there are tests and there are signs, and so on. This is the understanding we have. So it goes to the heart of the matter, since Yasin is the heart of the Quran. The stories and the discussions in Yasin go to the heart of Risala and the heart of Nabuwa, the heart of being a Nabi and a Prophet. They're all highlighted here so that the Prophet's heart is reassured the Quran being Muhammad وسلم, and Muhammad being the Quran in that metaphysical sense, not in the literal sense that it is to reassure the heart of the Prophet. وسلم, and that is why we recite Yaseen every morning or every evening, and that is why we are told to recite Yaseen to those who are dying. Right? May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the tawfiq to understand and follow these ayat and to recite them. Ameen ya rabbal alameen. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala khayr khalqi Muhammadin wa alim ashabihi.